This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. All right, we are in week three of a series uh, about King David. And as we have discussed the last couple of weeks, we're uh, learning as we go through the life of King David, that he is someone that Jesus identifies with, that when we think about David or King David, it's kind of the glory years of the kings of Israel. And uh, we, we laid a foundation a couple of weeks ago. If you missed the last couple of messages, you can catch up on our podcast um, or on our website or on our church app. All the messages are available on there and you can catch up with us. So I laid a, a little bit of a foundation the first week just explaining to you how uh, Israel got started with having a king. And uh, so I won't relay all of that foundation, but David was the second king in Israel's history. Saul was the first, and we went and we talked a little bit about that. But as we study um, Old Testament verses, as we study Old Testament characters, it's important for us to know what the New Testament, the New Covenant, says about the Old Testament and how we should read that. So let's turn our Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3, either your paper Bible, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can turn along or click along with me. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, referring to the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So there is a great understanding for us just in that last verse about how we look at the Old Testament. We don't look at the Old Testament um, to have faith in Old Testament characters and build um, our doctrinal positions, as it were, just based on the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is written for us to have faith in Jesus. So as we look at David... Um, that David is a type of Christ, and Jesus is the antitype or the fulfillment of what we see in the life of David. Now, we know that all of our Old Testament leaders and characters, they obviously had human flaws, which we see. Uh, Jesus had none of these things, that he was able to resist all temptation, the Son of God. But as we look at the Old Testament, we are supposed to have our faith in Christ is supposed to grow, not just our faith in these characters. Verse 16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we do look at the Old Testament, we can be trained, we can learn some things. And what's great about the Old Testament, once again, um, different from other ancient writings, is that we get to see the failures and faults of these leaders. So as we are instructed, as we learn from the Old Testament, some of the things we can learn to repeat and some of the things that we can learn to do, and then there's some things that they did uh, that we should avoid, that we should learn from their mistakes to not repeat those mistakes, not to duplicate the things that they did wrong. So we can learn and we can grow and we can be corrected by what to do and then by what not to do. And then Acts chapter 13, specifically about David, tells us this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And this would be the keynote verse um, for me for this series, that David served the purposes of God in his generation. And that is the call for us in 2016 
in Mississauga, in the city church, um, that we should be as followers of Jesus. I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. We can see that David did some things, accomplished some great things. Um, but we just, we just don't celebrate David and be, oh, I really love David. But we should learn from David. And what did he do? He served the purposes of God in his generation. And we should think the same way. That I want to not just do my own thing in 2016. I just don't want to just absorb everything in culture and do everything that the culture dictates and just reflect back what's in the culture. That I want to serve the purposes of God. What is it that God has placed in my heart? We were praying for these young people a few seconds ago. What is it that God has purposed and destined for these young people to do and accomplish? What gifts and talents has he put in their hearts? Same question for you. What gifts and talents has God given you? So that you can serve the purposes of God in this generation. So as we look through David, there's lots of lessons about leadership. There's lessons about loyalty, loyal, uh, lessons about friendship. We're going to talk about that today. Um, talking about the heart that, that the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. So as we look through the story of David, we can see something about um, actions and reactions and humility when he messed up and we made mistakes he went and asked for forgiveness and we can learn some things about david we can learn about how to deal with disappointment as we look through david's life um, talking about opportunity we talked about opportunity last week as we discussed the david and goliath story how to deal with opposition um, talk a lot about worship that david wrote a lot of the psalms that we have in our bible and then some of the things that David dealt with as it relates to family. So today we're going to talk a little bit about friendship. Now, as the story of David unfolded last week, we've mentioned that David was anointed to be king uh, by the prophet Samuel. And he wasn't king for a long time yet. But then as his life progressed, he had this opportunity that we spent the whole last week talking about to face Goliath, to face uh, giants or to face things that maybe could make you fearful and then uh you know the, the story that uh, david kills the giant with god's help and then he cuts off his head and then the story continues in the next chapter and it talks about this uh, growing friendship as it relates to david and jonathan and they're famous in the scripture for being friends covenant friends um now uh, about 24 years ago next month i'll I went, I started Bible school 24 years ago and I met some really great friends and I met my wife 24 years ago next month. Our first date was September 24th, 1992. It was a great date. Um, she didn't think that, she thought she was older than me. So I had to show her my license <laughs> because she didn't want to start liking me just in case I was younger than her because I was hard to resist. You know what I'm saying? She couldn't resist me. <laughs> So I had to show her my license, and then once I showed her that I was nine months older than her, it was all over people. <laughs> so I met my wife uh, 24 years ago next month. We were married two years after that, and, um, and then but I'm not talking about marriage today. Thank God for my wife and, and our relationship. Uh, but I'm just talking about friendship in general this morning. And some of the other people that I met at Bible school today, I'm still friends with them. Uh, we still see each other periodically. We all, uh, a lot of friends that I have are pastors and we have growing families and we get to see each other on Facebook and Instagram and, and, and sort of have long distance friendships. Um, but one of the friends I made 
in, in the first month of Bible school, the Bible school I went to, they had, a, you know, a great gymnasium facility, and we could play basketball and volleyball, and there was a weight room and all these different things. So uh, because I wasn't able to work, it was in the States, I had a lot of time to do all of these things and play a lot of sports. So in September of my first year of Bible school, I was playing some basketball, and um, so we were, you know, in a game, and, you know... I wouldn't say that it got heated, like nobody was angry, it was a Bible school, we're not really supposed to get mad at each other. But you know, when you're playing basketball, you know, the adrenaline is up and you get a little bit competitive when the end of the game is near. And so uh, I was playing against this, this guy who was guarding me and I think he was guarding me maybe a little bit too close, that's my side of the story. So I dropped a shoulder on him, I don't know if you know what that means in basketball terms, and I basically gave him, a, you know, a bloody lip that... He got a little, so I dropped the shoulder and his, you know, what I say is he just happened to put his face where my shoulder was going. <laughs> sort of not my fault. I think he has a different version of the story. So he, you know, got a bloody lip and, um, you know, when, when, when there was bloodshed at the Bible school, you had to have an incident report. So we had to go to the desk of, you know, the gym area and we had to fill out an incident report, you know, just in case somebody had got injured really badly. So we were there at, at the desk filling out this incident report, and we found out that we had lived in the same apartment complex. But what was great about the interaction, that he really wasn't mad at me. He was just, you know, he sort of took the, you know, took the blood, and he had the fat lip, and he had the ice on and stuff like that, but he wasn't mad at me. He was, it was like he knew it was part of the competition, and he wasn't crying, and he wasn't whining about, you know, and so I'm like, hey, I can be friends with this guy. Because, you know, he's going to take the blows of the game and he's still going to have a smile on his face and realize it was all just good competition. And I just want to let you know that if we ever get in any competition of any kind, you and me, I am going to try to beat you and you may get a bloody lip, all right? And you can't complain about it because it's just all part of the game. If we play hockey together, I haven't played hockey for a while, but if we play hockey together, you might get slashed or hooked. I'm not guaranteeing it, but it just might happen. You can't be like, the pastor shouldn't hook me. And I'm like, hey, it's part of the game. <laughs> so anyway, from this interaction where I bloodied his lip, um, we were texting last week about some stuff that he, you know, he's on staff at a church and his church is doing some great things. And he uh, is part of a church leadership in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we are still friends today. Um, based on this one interaction and then he became my roommate in the second year and you know once again we used to play a lot of sports together he was a really good baseball player and uh, so we would play baseball together and then sometimes you know we would wrestle like hardcore wrestling does anyone you know have any friends like that you're growing up that you would just really wrestle with them and you know when boys get wrestling it gets really violent and sometimes you know my my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, she was over there, and like we would get in these wrestling things, and she would be thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to kill each other. And we would get pretty close to killing each other, but at the end, we would all smile and, and shake hands and different things like that. But this relationship that started 24 years ago has been a fantastic friendship for me. And when we think about friends that we make, um, that really when you make friends with someone, there's obviously a commonality of life, that your, go, your life is going in the same direction, and you like the certain things, and you have that sharing in common. And the scripture talks about this word fellowship. And the word fellowship means sharing in common. And the great thing about friends and people that can be heart friends and covenant friends, as we're going to discuss here in, the sec, in a second, 
that is people whose lives are on a similar trajectory. And it can be, uh, it, it can be such a wonderful, mutually strengthening situation when you find people that can be true heart, long-time life friends. And God has created us with this need for relationships. We need friends. We shouldn't be going through life alone. We shouldn't be um, thinking, I'm just on this journey of life by myself. That there should be friends that we have in our lives that we can be there for and they can be there for us. That God has created us with these relational needs. We are relational beings. We're supposed to have a relationship with God and then we're supposed to have uh, varying degrees of relationships with people. Now, you can't be a heart friend with everybody, and you, you just won't click with everybody. Now, you can be friendly with everybody, and we can have lots of friends, but these covenant type of friends, we should be desiring to have. And we should, when we discover these relationships, I would say that they're more, uh, that's, and that's how they happen. They get discovered, and we find out we have all of these things in common, and we're, our lives are going in a similar direction. That when we discover these friendships, we should cultivate them. We should invest in friendships um, because there's something that could come for both of us as it relates to friendship. So let's just read about David and Jonathan here, the starting of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Chapter 18, right after the experience um, with David and Goliath. And Saul is becoming aware of who David is. And it says this. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sights of Saul's servants. So David had this great conquest over Goliath, and then Saul was like, hey, I want to bring this kid into my army now. He can be a leader of men. So he set him over some of the military, and David was very successful But we see something here about Jonathan, that Jonathan saw something, uh, we could say it like this, a kindred spirit. Jonathan saw something in David that he liked. And there's certain things, when we meet certain people in, in life, that we just have that connection. We just have that automatic, hey, I can be friends with you connection. And, you know, and there's certain people that that we just feel like maybe we can't be super close friends. You know, like if you're born in Ontario and you're a Montreal Canadian fan, I'm not sure if you and I can be friends. Our lives are going in a different trajectory, but I will try. I will do my best to have mercy on your crazy soul. Um, <laughs> but here, Jonathan saw something in David that he liked. And then, and then, so David went out and he had these military conquests. But we think about who David is and who Jonathan is, that God had anointed Saul originally to be king. And then eventually that would say that Jonathan would be the next in line for the throne. But here Jonathan is taking his princely robes and his, his things as it relates to war, and he's giving them to David very interesting who Jonathan is, that he is not jealous of this idea that David is anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
he's actually going to help David. He, his soul is knit with David. He's seeing David's potential to be king. So he gives him these things. He gives him his clothes and he gives him his, you know, his, his sword and, and all these different things. And then David goes out and he wins these conquests. And the scripture tells us soon after this that when, they, when they're returning back from war, it says that Saul, that they're all yelling out to them and they're cheering them on as they come back home. And they're saying Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. So all of a sudden after this, Saul gets a little bit jealous of David. That David is getting this new, this adulation that he killed Goliath and now he's killing tens of thousands and Saul's just killing thousands. And so there's this weird, strange relationship that goes on for the next many chapters um, in 1 Samuel about Saul liking David and wanting to use him for war, but then also trying to kill him. And, and there would be stories where David would be there and he'd be playing his harp for Saul and all of a sudden Saul would, would throw a spear at him, sort of jealous of who David was, it, who was, who David was. But Jonathan was never this way, that Jonathan had this covenant, that he had this covenant friendship with David. Now, when we think about what a covenant is, we, sometimes we replace that word with contract in our modern vernacular. But a covenant and a contract are two different things. And in simplest terms, a contract is for people, for two people who don't really trust each other. I don't really trust that you're going to fulfill this, and I'm not sure if you're really going to pay, and so we need a contract. Um, a covenant is different. A covenant is between two people who trust each other. Two people who have uh, similar goals and similar values. And when we see in the Old Testament... Uh, we would see this phrase, they're going to cut a covenant. And what would happen a lot of times, they would take an animal and they would split an animal down the center and uh, the cutting of the covenant, there would usually be blood involved with the covenant. And the two different parties entering into the covenant would walk through this animal who had been cut in two. And they would say, um, you know, some scholars would say that what partly is being described as since the heart is getting cut in two and the mind is getting cut in two and as you walk through we're sharing the same heart we're of the same mind and then what i have is yours and what you have is mine and if you get attacked i get attacked and if something goes wrong in your life that means something goes wrong in my life and that you're just in covenant together with these people who just are your heart friends just these people who you are just i'm you know you're my ride or die, as it were. We're just in this together. We are doing life together. And God has created us with this capacity and this need for close friends. That we can share the same mind. That we can share the same heart. And we can see this about David and Jonathan. That they were making a covenant of friendship. So Saul was uh, getting jealous of David, and it was kind of going back and forth, and it was a, actually a really interesting thing if you read through that Jonathan had this friendship with David, but he was also Saul's son. So he was trying to balance out these two things of not dishonoring his father, but also trying to protect David from his dad, who was kind of a little bit schizophrenic at this point. He would be like, oh, David, I want you to play the harp for me, and then as you're playing, I'm going to throw a spear at you. So he, he was kind of going back and forth. And so Jonathan, Jonathan was trying to protect David from Saul in the same way he was trying to not dishonor his father. So it's a really interesting relationship as you see it unfold in the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 23 verse 15 says this. David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. 
So David is running from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. Verse 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. I'm going to protect you. For you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Verse 18, And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Now, verse uh, 17 uh, in the net translation says this. And he said to him, do not be afraid for the hand of my father Saul cannot find you. You will rule over Israel and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul realizes this. Jonathan, the heir apparent, the prince in line for the throne says to David, I'll be second to you. And this is the heart of friendship. I will be second to you. I will support you. I will be there for you. In Top Gun lingo, I'll be your wingman. I will be the person who's there for you. I'll be the person, hey, when you're celebrating, I'm going to celebrate with you. When you get a promotion, I'm going to be excited for you. Something goes wrong in your life if you're struggling with something. I know that you are going to be there for me. And this is what covenant relationships are. Now, all of the relationships in our life shouldn't be covenant relationships. I mean, you shouldn't have a covenant relationship with your grocery store. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, if the toilet paper is cheaper at the superstore and you shop at Metro, go to the superstore. You know what I'm saying? Um, so all of the relationships in our life are not supposed to be these uh, close relation. I mean, we, we can't have covenant relationships with 400 people. It's just not going to work out for us. It's, it's, it's too much commitment, and it's sort of, and we don't actually have that much in common with 400 different people anyway. But it is these people in our life that God has gifted to us. They're just like a gift to you. They're just, it's just so great to have their friendship, and you know they've got your back. And they know that you've got their back. Did you just, man, we're just in this together. I'm for you. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. Uh, you know, it's just, and it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's actually hard to describe when, when you think about close friends that you have. But it's just a joy to have them. And here's this situation that we see with Jonathan and David, and I just love this phrase, I will be second. I'll be second in command. And this is the way we need to think about life, actually. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus said that. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who died for all of us, that he came and he said, you know what, I'm actually here to serve mankind. I'm actually here to do for others, you know, and we are infected and inundated from our selfish culture that we live in, that we just think that everybody is here for us and every store is here for us and everybody driving on the road has to drive for me and, and everybody should do for me and you need to do for me and if you don't do for me, I'm cutting you off and you're out and it's sort of performance-based friendship. Performance, perpor, I'll get it out. Performance-based friendship is not friendship. 
If somebody has to perform for you, they have to do this and they have to do this and have to like do this, all right, you know, and we're just not friends. That's not covenant friendship. Covenant friendship, it realizes, hey, I know that you're going to actually struggle sometimes. I realize that you're human just like me. I realize you're going to go through stuff just like me. But I'm in it to the end with you. Covenant. Marriage is a covenant. I'm in it to the end with you. We're, we're, this is, your life is my life. My life is your life. What you have, I have, and vice versa. Covenant relationships. We shouldn't just throw these away. We shouldn't just let the culture dictate to us these certain things and then just sort of throw away relations, just throw away relationships. But it happens all the time. Relationships get hurt and broken and it's difficult. But here Jonathan has made this commitment to David. He says, I'm going to be second to you. I am going to serve your interests. And this is what friends are like. I'm going to be there for you. Whatever you need, hey, you know you can call me. Whatever time of the night, whatever time of the day, you need some help, you know that you can call me. And just like I'm describing about this friend whose lip I bloodied, I know this would be true of him. I was going through something, I could call him. And they would be there and they would come if somewhere, if I needed them to come somewhere, if they'd be available for a discussion, they would make time because this is what covenant relationships are like. You know, we, when we think about these relationships, you know, we have different categories for these relationships. Now, we should be in covenant relationships with our siblings, right? Because we're in the same family. We actually have the same blood. Uh, you know, one of the ways that they would make covenants is, and you've seen this, like somebody would cut someone's hand and someone else would cut their hand and they're shake, shaking hands. And then what they're saying after the fact is, your blood is my blood. My, we are blood together. We're blood brothers. We're in this together. We're doing this together. Now, we should be loyal to our siblings automatically. But here's something that I would say about them. That's good to do. But you know what? It's expected of us. We actually have to be. And we should be. But when it comes to covenant friends, we are making a choice. They are making a choice. And it's a wonderful thing. It's just a different level of friendship. It's just a different experience of life. We need good sibling relationships. It's an important thing. But these covenant friendships with people in our lives who aren't automatically blood, but that we can say, hey, I'm here for you, and I know that you are here for me. The book of Proverbs gives us a little bit of advice about friendships, explains to us about friendships. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Here's a great explanation of friendship iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another and this is what friendship is like real good mutually beneficial friendship you sharpen each other you help each other you can inspire each other hey how is you know your relationship with your spouse is, is doing really good how do you how are you doing this your kids look like they're really successful what are you doing with your children hey what is that business choice that you made how did you do that how did you accomplish that and this is what good friendships are like. You can learn from each other and inspire each other and sharpen one another. It is a wonderful thing that God gives us. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Now, here's another thing that friends give us that isn't quite as fun as that last one. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
true friends, true heart friends, are going to tell you the truth. I've heard it said like this, true friends will stab you in the front. They're just going to say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you making that choice? Why are you doing this thing? It's just kind of strange. It seems out of character for you. And who can do that? Some distant friend, some acquaintance? No, your covenant friends. Why? Because you know that they have your best interest at heart. They're in it with you. They are in life with you, doing life with you. They're a gift to us. God has put these people in our lives. It's a gift. Covenant relationships, we shouldn't easily break them. Here's some more advice about friendship. And here's actually advice in the book of Proverbs about things not to do in friendship. Verse 17, don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. This is just sort of good Bible advice, practical Bible advice. Don't be at your friend's house like every day. Just don't be showing up at the door unannounced. Like they just, they love you and they're in covenant with you. But don't wear out your welcome. Don't be just too eager. Hey, where are we going tonight? Well, maybe you're not going anywhere tonight together. Maybe they have other stuff to do. Maybe they have other family commitments. And once again, this is, a, this is about being a good, mature friend. If your friends have other stuff to do, don't take it personally. They have other stuff to do. You're not the only person in the world. You know, I see pu- people go in public on Facebook Oh, does anybody want to hang out tonight? I'm thinking, seriously, don't put that on Facebook. <laughs> Grow up a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, be mature in your friendships. People have other stuff to do. It's not high school anymore, right? People got kids and people got responsibilities. And, you know, don't wear out your welcome. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Verse 18, telling lies about others is harmful as hitting them with an axe. That's a great illustration right there. And here, you know, if we think about friendships that you've had maybe and lost, this is one of the things that happens. Somebody just basically lied about you. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I thought they were close. And then it's hitting you like an axe. I mean, it actually cuts. When someone who's your friend tells a lie about you, it's going to take a little while to recover from that. So, as it relates to our friends, we shouldn't be telling lies about our friends. It's harmful. Wounding them with the sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. So there's all the the things it feels like. Verse 19. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. In other words, don't put your trust in people who are unreliable. Don't make your ride or die... Somebody who can't show up on time for something. You let that sink in for a second. Like just practical honesty. Hey, I'm coming to your thing. And then, oh, what happened? They didn't show up. And like, oh, what happened? Oh, I totally forgot. Hey, don't make that person your covenant friend, all right? Don't try to depend on that person if they're undependable, if they're like a broken tooth. Could you imagine dentistry when this time had written? There was no dentistry happening, so broken teeth was a very bad situation. Uh, Verse 20, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. These are things not to do in covenant friendships. 
In other words, being unaware of what someone is going through. True friendship is being aware of someone else's feelings. Hey, they're going through this, or they're, they're grieving a situation, or they're struggling with something. And if they're, they're grieving a situation, or they're struggling with something, it's not time to sing Pharrell's happy song in their presence. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like being aware, being mature, empathizing with your friends so that you can be a good friend. So when we think about these things and when we talk about these friendship ideas, we might be thinking to myself, okay, who is going to be my Jonathan? I'm taking, I'll take applications. Who wants to be my second? Who wants to support me in all that I do? Who is going to be there for me? That is the wrong question. You need to be, if you're looking for friends, you need to be looking for a David, not a Jonathan. You need to be looking for someone that you can support, someone that you can honor, and someone that you can be in covenant with, not just the neediness of, I need friends, I need friends, I need friends, I need friends. The Bible says if you show yourself friendly, that's how you make friends. Don't be looking for someone to support you. If you're looking for someone to support you, you're not going to have any friends because you're always going to be needing from them. You're always going to be wanting from them. But the example for us in this story is how can I support? How can I be second? How can I, where is a David for me? Where is someone who is like, I just really connect with them and I can support them and I can love them. And with their struggling, I can be there to pray for them. Looking for a David, not a Jonathan. Are you with me this morning? Looking for someone that we can give our lives to. This is what Jesus said. And this is how, once again, this is anti-culture. Culture is all about you. Gospel understanding, biblical understanding, godly understanding is how can I serve others? What can I do for you? How can I serve in this friendship? How can I serve in my marriage? Not just everybody's, everybody's got to be here for me. Everybody's got to do this for me. You're going to live a disappointed life. I'm telling you, you're going to lead a disappointed, unsatisfied life. If you want everyone to be your Jonathan. Don't look for a Jonathan. Look for a David. So the story goes on, and David and Jonathan's relationship grows, and, you know, Saul multiple times is trying to kill David, and, and David is, is trying not to fight back at Saul. He's trying to honor Saul, and Jonathan is trying to honor Saul, even though Saul is, like, going crazy, literally. You know, one day he loves him, one day he hates him, one day he wants him to play the harp, one day he's trying to kill him with, with a spear. So they're going through this relationship, and eventually, you know, Saul and Jonathan die on the same day. It's a really sad story, how the culmination of Saul's life. You started out first king of Israel, and then him and his son die on the same day. And as we see that David is not just committed to Jonathan, he's actually committed to his family. First Samuel chapter 20, 
verse 42, says this, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. He said, between me and you, but it's also between our families. And people that you have heart relationships with, that you have covenant relationships with, you want their kids to do well, don't you? I mean, you're so close to them, and if any chance you can help their kids be successful, man, you're all in. And you're like, hey, you can have these discussions with them, and, and you can sort of support those parents of those children because they are in covenant relationship with you. I mean, my wife and I do this, you know, on social media with a bunch of our friends. We're like, when they're when their kids are successful and we like, you know, we like their photos and we're like, awesome, way to go. And any way we can support them and their families, it's just a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful experience to have covenant relationships. And, and in a measure, you understand that church life is a covenant relationship. That's why we have city kids. And that's why we have city youth. We have other people investing into your children. Isn't that an amazing thing? Where else can you go in the world to have that happen? That you can drop off your kids here in our amazing kids facility and somebody else is going to love your child enough to teach them about Jesus. Where can you do that? Nowhere. Why do we do that? Why do people who serve in city kids do that? They're in covenant with you. And you might not have known it before today. That's why they're serving your kids. That's why they're spending time teaching your kids about Jesus. Because there's a measure of a covenant relationship in the context of church life. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So David is committed to Jonathan, but he's also committed to Jonathan's family. And we're going to see this here. as This is the last story we're going to look at this morning. And it's, and it's such a great gospel metaphor. And as we, as we read through the story, we're going to see the gospel deep in uh, Old Testament stories. And this is a great, once again, type and shadow of the gospel message in this story. So as I mentioned, Saul and Jonathan die on the same day. And David becomes king of Israel. We'll, we'll talk more about the details of that later in this series. So David becomes king of Israel. And then the second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, and David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So David is now king. And he still wants to honor Saul, even though Saul kind of got a little bit crazy at the end there and was trying to kill David. But he's still wanting to honor Saul. And then he says, I want to honor somebody in Saul's household because of Jonathan. Because of this covenant relationship I have with Jonathan, I want to honor if there's anybody left, is anybody alive from their house. Verse 2, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse 3, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in Maker, the son of Emilial, at Lodibar. He is of the house of Maker, the son of Emilia, at Lodibar. Then, the king, then king David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Emil, 
at Lodibar and Mephibosheth. Everybody say that. <laughs> Mephibosheth. Now, I don't know why no one names their sons this anymore. Because this is a great Bible name. So anybody who's going to give birth to a son, just put Mephibosheth in the running, all right? And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now what could Mephibosheth thinking, think is going to happen now? The king is calling you. And in theory... If you think about the lineage of kings, it was Saul and Jonathan, Mephibosheth would be in line to be king, right? So what could he be thinking? David is going to kill me. So that, you know, he's going to be eradicating Saul's lineage, and so there's no more, there's no more claims to the throne, and he's just going to kill me so he could be there, and he could be a little bit nervous. He says, Behold, I am your servant. Verse 7, And David said, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Verse 9, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, for Mephibosheth, and shall bring in the produce. And your master's grandson may have bread to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commanded his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12, and Mephibosheth had a young son and his name was Micah. And all who lived at Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth, my tongue is getting sore from saying that, lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. So here in this story that David is trying to show kindness to Jonathan and his household is the gospel. That because David had a covenant with Jonathan, he's looking, for, he's looking to honor somebody. God has a covenant with mankind because of Jesus. And God is wanting to show kindness. He is inviting everyone to the king's table. And here, what does it say about Mephibosheth? He's crippled in his feet. The story is going that one time they were rushing somewhere and they dropped him and that's how he became crippled in his feet. And this is true of all of us. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our sin. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the King, Jesus, is calling us and inviting us to sit at his table and to sit at the King's table and to eat at the King's table. Because of what? Oh, because of covenant. Because of covenant, because of how awesome Mephibosheth is, and because he's really smart, and because he's really educated, no, he's actually crippled in his feet. He actually has shortcomings, 
like us. And the gospel story says and tells us that because of what God has done through Christ, that we are all invited to sit at the king's table and to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And how did we get it? How did we get this invitation? Because we're smart and intelligent and really religious? No, it's because a covenant has been cut in Jesus. The only one that can make a sacrifice, the only one that can make a covenant between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He makes this covenant for us. He established this this covenant for us, this never-ending covenant between God and man. And then the invitation comes, hey, hey, come to the king's table. You are invited with your weakness and with your struggles and with your insufficiencies to sit at the king's table and to eat at the king's table. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your goodness. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.